The gospel lesson comes from John chapter 16, starting the 16th verse. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you'll not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This conversation between Jesus and his disciples can come across as a bit confusing. But we have to remember, our understanding of God does not limit his work nor his power. And the same is certainly true with prayer. Our lack of understanding does not limit the power or significance of prayer. In this text, Jesus is focusing on the joy that will be found in him. The joy the disciples cannot understand at this point because they are simply caught up in the fact that Jesus will soon depart them, not quite understanding what Jesus means. The confusion the disciples feel is only confounded when Jesus explains they may ask anything of God the Father in his name. Jesus, of course, understood what questions disciples would be led to ask, so he jumps right to the point. He knew their feelings and and touches upon what they soon would be going through pain and sorrow at his death, and joy when he is restored. He knew the world would rejoice in his death because it meant that they were right about him. He knew the believers would be crushed in spirit. He had not yet been crucified at this point, and of course not yet resurrected. So Jesus speaks to this as he has also earlier explained that the Holy Spirit would come to be with him after his departure. He knew the disciples wouldn't get it until the Holy Spirit would come to be with them after his departure. He knew that the joy he spoke of would elude them until then. This joy, this type of joy that no one can take away from them nor us, this joy is certainly great. As Martin Luther wrote, it is too great and can never be exhausted just as the work that produces this joy is far too great for us to finish learning it. This joy, of course, is the resurrection in Christ Jesus. But in this world, we still encounter sin, sorrow, pain, and problems, just as we also experience joy in our lives. Our confident purpose comes from this through prayer. As we approach prayer this week and next week in our series, What is Christianity? We come to this text, as well as others, to help us grasp 
which is meant to ask of the Father in his name. To better understand and help us grow through prayer, we have to understand what prayer is, how we approach it, and certainly what is not. So first we'll speak to what prayer is not. Prayer is not creating a wish list of what we want, nor is it us imparting our will on God. I am certainly guilty of this one, praying to the Lord our God that his will be done. But, you know, if it could look like what the plan in my head was, that'd be great too, right? God is not simply granting wishes on our behalf. So prayer is not putting on a public show, heaping up empty words. It isn't about drawing people's attention to us as we interact with God. It is not to be made a spectacle. It's not about having the right words so that God will receive our requests. It's not about showing others how devout we are, how smart we are, or how eloquent we can be with our words. Simply put, prayer is to, be, is to commune with God. God created us to be in relationship with him. Psalm 27.8 says this about the closeness of prayer between people and their Lord. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Through the intervention and the grace of the Holy Spirit, prayer makes this possible for us here and now. Martin Luther explained it in this way. Whenever there is a Christian, there is also the Holy Spirit, who does nothing else than pray ceaselessly. For although the Christian does not always move his mouth or utter words, nevertheless his heart always moves and beats just as his pulse and his natural heart with such ceaseless sighings as, Dear Father, thy name be hallowed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done among us and all people. Hence you cannot find a single Christian who does not always pray, just as little as you can find a person living without a pulse, which never stands still but always beats, though the person may sleep or do something else, so they may not take notice of it. Martin Luther, of course, is speaking to the natural rhythm of prayer in our lives. We are to come to prayer in much the same way our heart beats or we breathe, relying it as much as we rely upon the breath in our lungs. And while prayer should be constant and natural, we know that we must not lift up empty words. So how then do we pray? We look, of course, to the example set by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself taught us to pray and begins with addressing our heavenly father, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We must not dismiss this invitation by our Lord, our father. This is a big deal. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we see him speak intimately of his relationship with the father. But here specifically, Jesus is instructing us, inviting us to pray, to ask of the heavenly father. See, Jesus has not only brought us into a relationship with God through the cross and the resurrection, but is teaching us how to be with God through prayer. This scripture is certainly revealing of God's nature. Also, as Jesus says, not only is prayer personal, it also brings us into joining with millions of other believers around the world who are also praying to the one true God, our Father. Prayer is then commanded and taught by Jesus Christ, brought to fruition through the power of the Holy Spirit and fulfilled by God the Father. So we are commanded to pray, to pray to God, our Heavenly Father. 
And maybe we don't have the right words. Maybe we feel like we don't know enough about scripture. Or maybe we feel that we have no place to come to God in prayer in the first place. Thankfully, we're reminded by Jesus that there's a seat at the table for us. That we are in the family because of who God is, not because of us. So therefore, we just need to come humbly before our God. So how then do we approach prayer? Lord's prayers are best start. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others of trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Lord's Prayer positions us to focus on who God is in response to his mercy, his grace, and his daily provision. When we approach prayer as Jesus taught, we recognize the significance of prayer. We can begin then to understand the gift of mercy that it truly is. So have you ever felt stuck in prayer? Maybe you don't know what to say or how to ask. Sometimes our grief, our burdens, and our pain simply crush our words. The amazing thing about prayer is that we know it is always heard. God may not respond in the way we expect or on our own timeline, but God does surely hear each and every prayer you put forth, spoken or not. So we should have confidence in prayer, specifically because Scripture shows us that our prayers are heard by God. Ephesians 6.18 says that in praying the Spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Or Jeremiah 29.12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And Psalm 17.6, I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. See, even when we are at a loss for words, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us in prayer on our behalf. Much like Jesus going to the cross in our sins, the Holy Spirit brings us close to our Lord in prayer. God knows our needs, even if we do not. So why, knowing this, do we even pray at all? First thing is we're commanded to, so there's no choice. But first, praying should focus our hearts on God. It's not for him to learn about us or our needs. God already knows us better than we know ourselves. But it's for us to direct ourselves towards him. Our time in prayer should be in reflection and awe of who God is. Secondly, praying should prepare our hearts to receive an answer. Not because God owes us an answer, but so that even when we're focused on God, knowing all that he has offered us, lighting ourselves up to understand that he is in control and that he is good, loving, and holy, regardless of what his answer to our prayer may be. God may tell us no. The answer may be to wait. Or his answer may be silence. Prayer, though, as we see in Scripture, prepares our hearts to be content 
to find the joy in who God is and be comforted by that fact, regardless of God's answer to our prayer. If we look back to verse 9 in Matthew 6, Jesus begins his teaching to pray with a simple pray then like this. We have to understand something important here. There's a significant reason that we pray together the Lord's Prayer each time we gather. We are instructed by Jesus to pray. And it is part of our worship life together, and rightfully so. But this is not a word-for-word instruction for us. Jesus did not teach that these are the only words or phrases that we may use in prayer. Rather, Jesus is instructing us how to pray in this manner. To pray in a way that reflects these principles. Pray in this way. Approach prayer in this way. Ask our Father in heaven in this way. This moves us into the address of God the Father, our Father in heaven. This is not to be taken lightly. And of course, this is why it follows with hallowed be thy name. In prayer, we are coming humbly to the creator of the universe, our creator and the Lord, our God. God, of course, being set apart and holy, the maker of heaven and earth. Rightly so, we are reminded that we are praying to God. It means that we are desiring that God's name be glorified. It is a statement of adoration, saying that our entire purpose in prayer and in our lives is to elevate the name of God. The definition of hallowed is to be glorified and made holy. Our God, of course, is like no other. There is none like him and none are worthy of him. But our God is not some uncaring creator that set the world on its orbit and created us for entertainment. God created us with love and for a purpose. Pastor Tim Keller said this simple statement. Our Father who is in heaven is a miniature version of the gospel. This simple opening to our prayers reminds us of God's rightful place in heaven and our rightful place as sinners. It is only by the blood of Jesus and the grace that is offered already to us by the cross that we can know and begin to understand our Heavenly Father. Not as this far off and removed to God, but as our loving Father. This simple statement at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer places God in his rightful place and us and ours. This then shapes our prayer to be less focused on us and more focused on the Father who has redeemed us. When we approach prayer in this way, we are asking and seeking to glorify God, no matter what. No matter what his answer may be to us. In praying, we are glorifying God's name and expressing our adoration and affection for him. At the very same time, we are praying that through whatever we ask from God, that he, he will continually be glorified through it. We can learn through faith in the Holy Spirit to trust God's response in all prayers. In a sermon Martin Luther gave on prayer, he pointed out five things that are necessary for true prayer. The first is God's promise. God's promise is the chief thing, the base and the power in every prayer. God's promise is to give according to his will and his promise to hear us. Realizing these great promises and the power of God should then move us to prayer. With this realization, some may feel that we are unworthy of prayer, that we cannot come to God in prayer. But this is rebuked and that the worthiness of our prayers is based on God and not on us. So in this prayer, it is always worthy. 
The second point is that prayer is active faith. The promise of God is where we place our faith and we respond in prayer. The faith that God affords us is undoubting, confident that God's promises are true. James 1, 5 through 7 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Instead, prayer should reflect what we see in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything to his, according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. This faith and confidence comes from the Holy Spirit. So our prayers are prayed alongside the Holy Spirit. The third point that Luther made was that there has to be an ask. We have to ask of the Lord. Just the Lord's Prayer points out needs. Using that as our guide, we are instructed to ask for our daily needs. Asking for our daily needs and for the needs of others, we do each week in worship, but throughout the week as well. There is nothing too big nor too small to be included in our ask. We are simply instructed to ask. We know that our joy will be fulfilled in this when we are with God in glory. The fourth point is that we must have a desire for God's will to be carried out in prayer. Our heart must be open and laid bare before God simply because God already knows our hearts. Just as we seek Jesus, we yearn for his grace. Our prayers bear that yearning to be with God. When we hurt or cannot form the words, we can simply cry out to God through prayer and the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. The fifth and final point. We ask in Jesus' name. We come before God in prayer through the one who redeemed us in his blood, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.2 teaches that through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. When we ask in Christ's name and because of who Christ is and what he has done, rather than by relying on our own works and our own words, God will hear and regard our prayers. So because of Christ, we are to ask and have confidence in God's will. So for to explain prayer in the simplest form, it's this, speaking with God. Out loud, in your mind and heart, crying out, whispering in silence, in writing, and together. Prayer is a natural part of being a Christian, as we saw earlier, as natural as breathing the air around us. It's part of our DNA as Christians as we are redeemed through Christ and brought into a resurrection like his. God created us to be in relationship with him. And so prayer is an intimate part of that relationship. Prayer is also powerful. The Bible is God's living word speaking to us and revealing God. And prayer is both connecting with God and listening to that response. Through prayer, we're connected to Lord our God and creator who is more powerful than we can possibly imagine. Many today dismiss prayer as empty. But faith and prayer for the Christian is the most significant thing we can participate in our lives. 
F.B. Meyer wrote on prayer that the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayers. Prayer in its simplest form is talking to God, but because of who God is, is not simply talking. Prayer also gives us direction. It's not about asking God to do our will. It's about bringing us into sync with God's will. It is about, asking, about being okay with God's will, even if we don't understand the direction or the outcome. In this, the main purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with God's will, not ours. Desire plays, as we know, a huge role in our lives. Desiring God's will in our lives is huge. The problem lies in that we usually place our own desires above the will of God. We want our desires instead of what God desires for us. The power of prayer is in God's will, not ours. So then prayer is also about obedience. Faith and desire thrive in prayer, but obedience is what lives out that prayer. When our desires change to what God desires for us, they lead to obedient actions of faith. Faith and obedience are intertwined. If we pray without being willing to be obedient, without being willing to respond to God's will, what does that say about our faith? The importance of prayer in Christian life is like air. Like our faith, prayer connects us to our life-giving God. Recently, our high school ministry attended a conference hosted by Christ and Youth in Flagstaff, Arizona. It was a blessed week with faithful preaching, worship, and most importantly, seeing God working through our teens. And prayer was certainly part of that time. One thing during the week that I noticed that impacted our teens and myself the most was a time set in the day called Selah. Selah, as you might remember, is a phrase used in the Psalms that means to pause. It's used an instruction to break or to breathe. We use this time of Selah to be in prayer intentionally, and I would like to share with you today as you reflect on prayer throughout the week. Now, please, this is not a prescription for how you should pray. We have Lord's instructions on that. But this is simply a way we can approach prayer during the week. So here goes. When we come to pray, I invite you to stop. Stop what you are doing. Turn off distractions. Stop thinking about what you have to do today and just pause. The second is exhale. Exhale. Recognize you're approaching Lord, our God, in prayer. Spend a few minutes to just be in awe of our Heavenly Father. Look. Reflect on how and where you see God working in your life. Reflect on God's faithfulness through his promises seen in Scripture. Ask. Ask God's will to be done in your life and through you. Don't be afraid to ask God for anything. And finally, here, be open to God's response, whatever it may be, trusting in his will. Amen.